Food is a right, not a privilege. Free to anyone, stoned or sober. Independent, autonomous decision-making. Solidarity, not charity. These are just some of the philosophies interwoven in the framework of Food Not Bombs, a global movement fighting to combat hunger in a world with ample surplus. Food Not Bombs operates under the ideology that mutual aid and community building are powerful strategies for resistance within a society that demands financial security for survival. To find out more about the organization, I was joined by Food Not Bombs co-founder Keith McHenry, who is one of the original eight founding members back in 1981 in Boston. Keith presently resides in Santa Cruz, California, where he volunteers with the local Food Not Bombs chapter and is currently working on a book about his life story. To get a sense of just how much Food Not Bombs has grown, Keith began by providing me with some background about how it all began. You co-founded Food Not Bombs in Boston with seven friends in 1980. I wanted to ask what was the original intention of the organization and what inspired you to help create it? Yeah, well, we actually were uh, really a theater group in a certain, uh, basically, and we were influenced by this, um, a theater company called The Living Theater. They basically were doing theater on the streets where it became impossible to determine clearly who was the actors and who was the public and who were the spectators. And so we were really inspired by that that idea. And I was a painting major and sculpture major at Boston University. Mm -hmm. And to make a living, I was a produce worker in the mornings and I was at a natural food store called Bread and Circus. And I started throwing, taking the food that would be thrown away down to these housing projects and about three blocks away in Portland Ave. And it turned out one day when I'm talking to people that the new building across the street was a weapons lab called Draper Lab. And that's where I got the name Food Not Bombs mm-hmm. from. And um, before that, we, uh, you know, we were doing stuff on the streets, but it became kind of more organized once we got, we had this name. And then what really started the actual collective of eight of us, so um, was that a friend of one of the eight, Brian Fiegenbaum, was arrested at an anti-nuclear protest in New Hampshire. And because of that uh, arrest, we, you know, we had to find somebody with money to bail him out and Mm -hmm. they did, but it was quite a lot of money. And so we wanted to pay him back. And our idea to raise the money to pay him back was to do bake sales. And that was not very successful. But at the same time, we had a moving company called Smooth Move and we were moving this activist family who had a poster that said, wouldn't it be a beautiful day? If the schools had all the money they needed and the Air Force had to hold a big sale to buy a bomber. Mm. So then that gave us the theater idea for that, which is that we bought some military uniforms and we went out to Harvard Square and to the Boston Commons with our literature table and and our baked goods and dressed as soldiers and told people we were trying to raise money to buy a bomber. And in that way, we were able to stop people walking by so that they would talk to us and find out why we had a bake sale. Mm. And while we really didn't make more money, and we realized this was a really good way to get attention, slow pedestrians down enough to have a conversation about social justice issues and to, uh, and to 
make you know you know hopefully open people's eyes to the nuclear arms race and to nuclear power. In a particularly notable act of political theater on March 26, 1991, the group decided to dress up as homeless people and stand in line outside a stockholders meeting of the Bank of Boston at the Federal Reserve Bank, imitating a soup kitchen line. The intended message was that Reagan's militarized policies would create a future where there would be soup lines all over the United States. The night before the protest, I went to the Pine Street Inn, which was a uh, shelter that had been um, built for the Great Depression. And there were still some people like, you know, a number, about maybe 30, 40 guys in this room sitting around on benches waiting for the mornings when it would not be freezing. And I gave a speech to them. And the next day they showed up to the protest and stood in line. And sure enough, it looked like a soup line in the Great Depression. And people were astounded and, and um, were, sh- you know, going, well, Reagan's only been in office like a little over a month and already the society's collapsing mm-hmm. because people that were progressive and Democrats and so on were alarmed at the election of Ronald Reagan, as everyone should be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then... Uh, so it was such a huge success, and the, one of the things that happened was that the guys eating with us told us that there was no food for people living outside in Boston, and that we should do it every day. So that night, we decided we would quit our jobs, and I made arrangements to continue to pick up the food that could be sold uh, from the grocery store I was working at, and we started delivering um, fresh produce and bread and tofu and stuff to uh, housing projects and to um, Rosie's place about women's shelter and um, other, you know, like a alcoholism uh, center that uh, we were associated with, like a detox center. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, that, we did that in a day. We picked up the, we set up a whole network of grocery stores, bakeries, and so on, and then delivered the food to these um, places. Since its founding, Food Not Bombs has continued to increase its capacity for meal sharing and community work over the years, providing critical services in the wake of disasters ranging from Hurricane Katrina to COVID-19. Today, the organization has more than 1,000 chapters in more than 60 countries around the world, with nearly 500 chapters in the United States alone. Over the years, McHenry has been arrested over 100 times, spent a total of two years in jail, and even faced 25 years to life for his work with Food Not Bombs. The FBI has repeatedly investigated the organization on accusations of terrorism and association with other radical groups. However, McHenry explains that through it all, his commitment to the movement and its core principles has kept him going. Emotionally speaking, um, you know, when you're doing something that is worth doing, and so, you know, and I kind of tell this, uh, you know, and because I, I opened by saying that I did it for eight years and had support in Boston, basically. I mean, there was some uh, rough spots towards the end, but overall, um, the city governments didn't bother me. And uh, so, you know, I think that if I had been getting arrested early on and it didn't have the joy of actually experiencing the sharing of free food with people outside on the streets for so long, I might have given up right away, but I didn't because it was, um, you know, it just it became so clear that 
well, I really want to change society, and, and, and that it just would not let the government silence me. That's nothing more than censorship. It's just like mm-hmm. what we have now where they, they kick you off of the internet or the, you know, like you lose your podcast or your YouTube uh, channel or whatever, because you're talking about things the government doesn't want you to talk about. You know, this is just a kind of a more direct way of trying to silence your idea because the, the message is very powerful when you come across people talking, you know, um, that, you know, that, that you have an event, uh, an event where people are being fed and, uh, under the violent food on bombs, particularly now, you know, the largest uh, military budget ever and, uh, just being proposed. Although last year was the largest ever being proposed <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> every year is like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, Roughly 50 cents of every tax dollar that you pay in income tax goes to the military. So, um, you know, it's really brutal. And we could have free education as we had when I was uh, college age. And we could have had, you know, uh, you know, everybody in a house, like was the case when I was in college. You know, so all those things were, are possible. But we, uh, when Reagan came to power, the priorities switched and, and, now, a huge percentage of our resources go to war as opposed to benefiting the community. So. Mm-hmm. so along those lines of, you know, being part of a cause that's worth fighting for, worth being arrested for, um, I wanted to ask you more about the ideology of Food Not Bombs itself. So what would you say are the main principles of Food Not Bombs and how might you describe it to someone who has never heard of it before? Yeah, so Food Not Bombs has... We have three principles which were agreed upon. They were kind of uh, uh, organically the principles up until um, uh, October of 1992, when at the first Food Not Bombs World Gathering, we decided that on the three principles, and that would be that the food was free to anyone, rich or poor, drunk or sober, uh, stoned or sober. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that the food was always uh, uh, and always vegan, uh, vegan and vegetarian. The second one was that there'd be no headquarters, presidents, directors. That each chapter would be autonomous and make decisions using a consensus process, and um, strive to make sure that the people that are depending on the food are included in the decision making and in the attendance to the meetings and so on. And then the third is that we're not a charity, but that we're dedicated to nonviolent direct action mm-hmm. to change society so no one has to live in the streets or eat at a soup kitchen. And then we reaffirmed that at a much larger Food Not Bombs gathering in 1995. And it's been those three principles that have guided and held the movement together and made it possible to go from just a couple of Food Not Bombs chapters to now groups in, in at least a thousand cities, maybe more. And so that that has been something that has stayed constant and has um, knit our whole network together. And, it, and I think it's at the core of why we've been able to be a global movement. And uh, so there's, you know, we have groups in Indonesia, which is primarily Muslim country, and we've got, uh, you know, groups in, uh, in Malaysia, groups in, in, in uh, 
Myanmar and, and Burma, um, and uh, so it spans like uh, you know Latin America. So it spans all kinds of like uh, both third world and so so to speak and first world and you know, countries with a majority Christian backgrounds, uh, secular. You know, just like it transcends everything and it and it works uh, in all these different. Uh, aspects because of the core principles are can be universal and you mentioned that food not bombs operates under the ideology of direct action and solidarity rather than charity i was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit yeah well they're, they're clearly the solution to ending homelessness and hunger if that's and and ending war mm-hmm. is about changing society completely mm-hmm. and uh, not about more meals so that's one aspect the other aspect is that um to be able to change society in such a a manner uh it's really important to get to be in solidarity with the people that you're you know work that are eating with you and that are helping you out and so on and to erase the side hierarchy of uh we're the good people that come in and help the disadvantaged people, which is the charity model. Mm-hmm. And um, and the charity model is actually part of the problem. So it is not, you know, it, in fact, like it's grow, it's becoming a growing part of the crisis in that the charities um, are more and more being uh, funded and controlled by foundations, which have, whose goals are to maintain the political and economic system as it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that we, we've got to get rid of this political and economic system that we have hoped to survive and just on the basic survival level ultimately. So that I think is, is, is very important aspect of this. And, um, that kind of dependency, charity dependency and, uh, and that, uh, looking down on the poor, or the poor will always be with us, and so on. Kind of attitude is um, is really detrimental. And you mentioned, you know, mutual aid becoming really apparent and important during the pandemic, especially. So I was just wondering how the role of food not bombs has transformed or become more impactful in any way during the pandemic. Well, the, so the pandemic was this had a odd silver lining. Mm-hmm. for food not bombs and for um, people that are attracted to mutual aid. And um, so when the pandemic happened, governments had no idea what to do. And, and or if they did, they just didn't do it. So as an example, in Santa Cruz, there was no resources for unhoused people. Mm-hmm. All the soup kitchens shut down because they were indoors. And, um, and we are always outdoors. So that was we were already ready. And also we, um, you know, we didn't have constraints, but like some budgetary constraints and stuff. We recover food that um, can't be sold and we already have pots and pans and propane stoves and so on. And so we just kept feeding people. We, um, because of our philosophy, we just kept seeking solutions. We'd already had our own uh, DIY hand washing station from almost three years before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we just made more of those. So we ended up being the hand washing. We were like the first people to do social distancing that was like in um, 
you know, like in the, I think, well, maybe not the first in Santa Cruz, but I think, but the day the, the uh, local bank uh, um, started putting dots on the ground for people coming to the end of the bank, we followed suit and put uh, our social distancing marks on the sidewalk so that people would know where to stand six feet away. And, you know, we, and then we, and then, and then so for probably the first hundred days or so, there was virtually no access to resources for people that lived outside unless you were already in a pre-existing shelter at the time of the, that the pandemic started, which turned out to probably be, um, you know, what few homeless people did get, um, COVID in Santa Cruz County were, were all people that lived in shelters. Because it, as it turned out, people lived outside had much less risk, um, and um, and you know just by the mere fact that they had to live outside, and unfortunately, uh, you know this built a large amount of solidarity amongst house people, people that are just a couple of paychecks away from being homeless, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and so that's built our base of volunteers and base of support and and. Um, you know, and has been really, really powerful. The other thing is, since the government is essentially, you know, is a, is the governments of all levels are so inept and so incapable of actually responding to crisis, um, that you know, that we that's built a, a lot more respect and and uh, and, um, and trust amongst the community with without bombs. So. Um, those are all like powerful steps towards a transformation. And then as the society collapsed completely, which it probably, you know, appears to be heading towards, mm-hmm. you know, where you have a super rich class of uh, venture capitalists and bankers and uh, defense contractors and stuff, um, and social media mega giants and things. Um, and then the rest of the people, uh, I think what, what now they're saying that's uh, Roughly 40 million Americans are facing um, eviction, uh, and that could be a huge, crazy psycho crisis once the eviction moratoriums are over. And we're already seeing that, um, even just in on the streets here in Santa Cruz. Even though allegedly people aren't to be evicted, but there's all kinds of loopholes and ways to force people out. And um, and then we also see this huge. Um, massive drive to build uh, luxury condos everywhere so that's that's a global phenomenon and a way of uh, you know of, uh, hedge funds and venture capitalists and bankers and so on just trying to you know take all this money they got from the pandemic and park it somewhere um, for the future and um and and so you know that that I think the model of freedom bonds and the non of uh, and other uh, mutual aid groups and so on is um, is going to be relied upon by masses and masses of people. And uh, I don't know if we can how you know and just in our being removed from the uh, you know corporate uh, power and maintaining our autonomy from corporate power um, that I think uh, you know it's going to be an important political message in the near future. Thank you to Keith McHenry, co-founder of Food Not Bombs, for joining us on KCSB News. For more information, head to foodnotbombs.net. For information about Isla Vista's local Food Not Bombs chapter, 
visit Food Not Bombs Isla Vista on Facebook or at Food Not Bombs Isla Vista on Instagram. With KCSB News, I'm Ashley Rush.